Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Uh, let's see here. Size, large, lightly used, missing one sleeve, of course. Pit stains for authenticity. Oh, oh, hello. Hello, hello. Do come in. Welcome to Radio Rental, the video rental store with the most exclusive collection of never-before-heard scary stories. <laughs> Hold on one moment, please. <clears throat> And let the bidding begin. What am I doing, you ask? Well, I just discovered a little something called eBay. Pretty cutting edge. It's kind of hard to explain. But think of it as a garage sale, but with no actual garage. It's all online and virtual. And anyways, it took me a minute to internalize it, too. Don't worry. Anyway, I am selling some movie memorabilia for a few extra bucks. Right now, I am selling Harrison Ford's shirt from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the most controversial installment of the series. Well, I mean, I, I can't be sure that it was his, but, I mean, it looks like it, right? I mean, memorabilia is all about the story anyway. What's that? Is that a ketchup stain? No, sir, that's a tiny spot of Harrison Ford's fake blood from Temple of Doom. Nice to meet you. See, movies are all about selling the dream. I mean, if we're being literal, it's mostly about selling highly marked up concession items, popcorn, soda, and so forth. But it's also about the illusion, man. I'm certain eBay would back me up on this. They get it. They totally get it. Now, let's get you started on another tape. I have a very scary story for you here that I've been holding on to all week. I cannot wait to share it with you. Grab your Diet Dr. Pepper and let's pop it in the machine right now. This happened 10 years ago, so it's been a little bit. I was about 19 at the time. I came home one day from work. I had this Facebook message from a girl who I'd never spoken to before, who appeared to be around my age. And I had to read it like three or four times this huge wall of text. I just sat there and was like, what am I reading right now? She pretty much was saying, look, this is going to be really weird to hear. Probably alarming at best, and at worst, pretty disturbing. But I've been in a relationship for about two years with somebody who I thought was you. 
I had no reason not to believe this person though, because they, you know, why would this person message me and tell me this? It's just kind of out of nowhere. This girl who I'll, I'll call Sarah was contacted by this catfish on Facebook who appeared to be me. She really had placed a lot of trust in this person. She said she continued to talk with this person and they would talk about art and small talk for a little bit. But she said quickly this relationship turned into a romantic thing. She would wake up in the morning to text messages from this person and they would talk all day to the point where she wouldn't get work done sometimes. And it got deeper and deeper and she ended up saying that she told this person all these really deep, dark secrets that she'd never shared with anybody and it had fostered this really personal relationship between the two of them. Apparently, they continued to talk like this without this catfish ever sending a single photo or ever FaceTiming or Skyping this girl at all for almost two years. She had said it had been a couple months short of two years. So this relationship had dragged on seemingly for a really long time. I'm not sure how someone could maintain a relationship for that long without ever even seeing a person. I'm a pretty, I wouldn't say a private person online, but I've never posted a selfie of myself ever. So there was no photos that she could find of me that she could play off as being a selfie and send, you know what I mean? There were only ever pretty awful candid photos of me with other people and that made it even weirder to me. I think they might have exchanged numbers and had been texting with each other, but it was a purely text-based relationship. She got a little bit sketched out by that and was a bit skeptical that this person might not be who they said they were. She had reached out and said, hey, can we talk on the phone or can we do a FaceTime? This person always would dodge those questions and kind of change the subject. And it got to the point where clearly, you know, I think any rational person would realize, hey, this, this is a little bizarre. This person is seemingly really interested in having this relationship with me, but they also don't want to actually connect with me in a more personal way. She said that she had sent a few photos of herself to this person already, and the person had never sent a photo back to her, which was a bit of a red flag. So she ended up saying like, look, if you want to continue doing this, we're going to need to advance this in some way, whether it be you sending me a photo or us Skyping or at the very least us talking on the phone. She ended up, after almost two years, finally was getting sketched out to the point where she really, really needed to say something. And apparently she had tried a couple times to confront this person, but the conversation hadn't gone well and the person had kind of guilt-tripped her into making them feel like, oh, you are triggering me by saying this stuff and I love talking to you, but this is real, I can't, I can't do this, you know? And she'd kind of pull back for a little bit and then Sarah would reach back out again and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to push it on you and we can, you know, we'll just take it slow. And I guess this persisted for almost two years and finally she contacted the catfish and was like, look, either today we are gonna have Skype or you're gonna send me a photo of you that proves you're real or I'm gonna stop talking to you because this is crazy. The catfish realized that there was just no way they could kind of keep the ruse up any longer. And I think they decided, look, I'm just gonna have to tell you what's up. So she said, pretty much, here's the deal. I am a woman. I am in the process of transitioning to be a male, but I'm not who I said I was. And I don't look anything like the person you think I actually am. 
all the photos that you've seen of who you think is me are actually of somebody I went to high school with. Sarah was like, what? Anyone would be really taken aback by this. And I think she was like, obviously very upset and very hurt. Still at that point was willing to, I guess, give the catfish a bit of slack and was, you know, just kind of like, look, I just want you to explain this and I really just want to help you and understand what's going on. Ended up ghosting Sarah. Sarah never heard back from her again. Finally, she came across my real Facebook profile, much less extensive than the catfish's profile of myself. She apparently spent a couple weeks doing reverse image searching on Google and pretty much trying to find out who I actually was. So when she compared the two profiles, my actual profile looked to be a fake profile of the other one. When Sarah reached out to me, she sent me a couple screenshots and then the URL to this profile of myself. I clicked on the link, which was a really weird experience, scrolling through this extremely extensive Facebook profile that had all these updates that were just paragraphs of text talking about how they were feeling. This person was way more candid than I had ever been on the internet, where they were talking about their personal issues and emotional updates practically daily of these big paragraphs of text. And then to supplement all of that, they would repost these photos of myself that I'd posted on my profile or other photos people had taken of me that had tagged of me. I remember looking through the photos and every single photo, they'd all been posted separately when normally I'd post these like big groups of photos from a vacation or something. And she'd take all of these and individually make them each their own post with their own story of stuff that happened. And she'd stagger those and post one photo every couple weeks or every couple months. So it looked like she was maintaining this life on Facebook, maintained this timeline of posting these photos and made it really look like a real person. I felt very violated reading that. I don't even go this deep on the internet and people are reading this and even if they don't know who I am, it's just so weird that people are seeing this and assuming that this is me. It's hard to explain how that makes you feel when you see that. She um, ended up making probably 20 other fake Facebook profiles. These consisted of all of my close friends and family, all my siblings and all my friends had these fake profiles as well. And all of these profiles had gone off and friended their own people and had these own extensive networks of just a Facebook presence. So they really looked, if anything, more legitimate than the real profiles did. My mom did, my dad did, I had aunts. I saw my twin sister, I saw my older brother and my older sister. Immediately I was like, whoa, they have more friends than I do on Facebook. The guy who is really my best friend, Ryan, in real life had a fake profile. And it was crazy how much time this person must have spent doing this. After she had told me all this was going on, she said that all she knew was that this person had gone to high school with me, but she didn't know the identity of the actual person because she wasn't able to figure it out. And she was pretty much asking me if I could help her get to the bottom of this and try to figure out who had done this. And she was pretty much like, the only thing I have to go on is that this person went to high school with you. And then she started asking me a bunch of questions about my life, trying to get to the bottom to see who I was. And she said, you know, do you like drawing and surfing and all this other stuff that clearly is on my Facebook profile so anyone would be able to see this? And then she asked me a question. She said, is your best friend Ryan? 
And I was like, what? This person's been my best friend since we were little kids. There was no evidence on Facebook that him and I were good friends. We maybe had a few Facebook photos together from freshman or sophomore year in high school. And other than that, there was practically no presence that he had online and, and no photos of us together. So there's no way, if this person actually didn't know who I was, there's no way that she would know who my best friend is. And then she went on to say, "Are you, were you adopted? Do you have a twin sister named Emily who is dating this guy? And she had all this information that there's no way that that's public information. I've never put any of that out on the internet. There must be some truth to the story because clearly someone here knows me. And I'm inclined to take this at face value and believe it's the person she's saying it is. So she'd sent me this whole long string of photos that she'd been sent from this person so I could go through all of them and see if any of them would give us any clues. And so finally I came to these photos and I was like, look, all of these are all the stuff she'd pulled off my Facebook except for these three photos that I've never seen before. The craziest part to me is that she thought to take the phone number that the catfish had listed on their fake profile, so this fake profile that looked like it was me. And she said she tried to call the phone number and it wasn't a real number, it just went to a, like a dial tone. But she said then she thought to flip the phone number in reverse and call the phone number which is something personally I would have never thought to do. And it just felt really weird. And she said, as soon as I did that, I called this phone number. It belonged to this family who lives in Brookline, which is the town that you said you grew up in and where you went to high school and where this person supposedly lived. She gave me the name of these parents. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I recognize the last name. And so I looked up the profile of this girl I'd gone to high school with. She was just this quiet kind of hipster girl that seemed just pretty benign to me. I've maybe spoken to her twice in my life in passing. I found a couple photos that this person had posted that were actual photos they had taken. They were kind of these artsy photos of landscapes or something. And it's the only thing at all that was ever sent to this girl, Sarah, from the catfish that didn't actually originate from my life. I told the story to a number of people in my family, my friends. I also alerted a number of these people because they had fake Facebook profiles of themselves. A lot of people in my life, they had to go about trying to get these profiles deleted, which ultimately they didn't need to do because the catfish went and wiped all of these profiles themselves within two days of being found out. When I was explaining out loud how we were able to discover who this girl was, they were kind of like, wait, what? Hold on, go back and explain that again? Like, how, how did you figure this out? Because that sounds a little weird. And I was like, well, it was the girl that gave me this information. She had all these photos I'd sent and wanted me to go through them. And they were like, well, why would she assume if they're all photos of you and all from your Facebook profile, why would that have anything to do with this? It seemed like she sent me these photos knowing that I'd immediately be able to pick out these ones that I didn't take or had nothing to do with me. I tried to reach out to her and that is when I was like, oh, that's weird. She deleted her Facebook also shortly after she had talked with me. Never wanted to really get in touch with me again or have any actual closure on her end, it felt like. It was more felt like it was about helping me figure out who this person actually was instead of her getting to the bottom of it. It was almost like an inception of catfishing inside of catfishing where this person might have actually been this girl I went to high school with the entire time. So I'm really left wondering, why? Why would you do this? 
And why would you spend so much time living as someone else? What did you think? Oh, I knew you'd appreciate it. You thrill seeker, you. Hold on, I'm actually mid-post here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Excellent condition. 57 inches. In total, I'm on to my next piece of movie memorabilia. It's the checkered tie from Blade Runner, worn by none other than, you guessed it, Harrison Ford. So, what if it doesn't look exactly like it did in the movie? It's just faded a little over time. Like tears in the rain. Ooh, that's good. That is good. Adding that red meat line in for the fans. You know, all this talk about commerce makes me think it might be time for some ads. How about it? Frankly, it doesn't really matter. They're coming whether you want them to or not. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Welcome back. Time for another tape. I think this one will be the perfect accompaniment to the last story. Chills on top of chills with a sprinkling 
of dread. Is there a better way to spend your day? <laughs> Here it goes. Next tape. It was like March 2009. I was a sophomore in college. My then boyfriend, now he's my husband, we had gone to South California for spring break. We were coming back from that. And then the plan was that we were going to drive up to Fort Collins, which is where he went to school, stay the night, and then I would go the rest of the way up to Laramie, Wyoming, the following morning. He was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. It was late-ish at night. I think it was like 8.30 or something. 40 minutes into our drive, traffic came to an absolute standstill. We're like bummed because we wanted to just get back. We'd been traveling all day. Creeping along, and we come up on all of these cop cars. There was no ambulances, no fire trucks, just cop cars with their lights flashing. And then I look over to my right, and in the median next to me is this woman. And she's laying, like, sprawled out, like, completely flat on her back, and her hair is everywhere. She looks rough. She's got, like, bruises everywhere, and she had two really black eyes. They were, like, purple. I don't remember her eyes being open. She didn't have clothes on, or if she did, it was very, very minimal clothes, like maybe just undergarments, or I just remember a lot of, like, really white skin and really purple bruises everywhere. And I was certain she was dead. She was laying in the grass, and she was sprawled out. It wasn't like she was laying like she was in bed. It looked like she had fallen there, which was my first idea, was that maybe she'd been thrown from a car. But there was no vehicles anywhere to indicate any sort of wreckage or being thrown from a car. There was nothing at all, in fact. It was literally just the police cars on the side of the road and then the traffic that was moving past us. And then the really creepy thing was that around her, in like a semicircle, equidistant apart, were police officers in tactical gear. These policemen, like, I want to say it was six or eight. Like, it was a good amount. It wasn't like there were three of them. A perfect semicircle, and they were just standing with their hands at their sides. I don't know anything about how they would subdue any suspect or anything like that, but it just seemed so perfect and rehearsed to me that it, it looked like something out of the movies. They were just standing. They weren't in any kind of stance. They weren't in any kind of defensive posture. I could not see any guns. There was no movement. There was no tension. It did look robotic, and it looked like they were just staring at her. They were literally just standing around her. When you see the movies and it's like cliche and like there's some sort of ritual or like exorcism and it's like a bunch of witch or a priestess or whatever and they've got all their followers and everybody's like perfectly equidistant apart and they're just standing there. It's this very eerie, creepy scene. That's what it looked like around this woman who was just lying sprawled in the grass. In my mind, what makes sense to me is you're either providing life-giving aid or you're covering her with a sheet if she's dead and respecting her because she's not with us any longer. You have this person, like, help her. Or like, why are we not doing anything? It was kind of an, like an out-of-body experience for me because I was just, I was very absorbed. I'm autistic, so I get fixated on things. I was just so fixated on what was going on that I, I forgot that I was in the car. And then I hear next to me, 
my husband go, what the hell? That kind of brought me back to the present, but I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not daydreaming. I'm like, this is real. Like he's experiencing this too. And, and we both just kind of stared at it. I got the sense that all the traffic was from rubbernecking. Like I thought that everybody else was looking at it. And we get past it and the, the highway opens up again and we bring it back up to speed and we're both just like silent. What the hell was that? Did you see this? Yes, I saw that. Are you seeing this too? And he's like, is she, is she dead? Did we just see what we thought we saw? When he said it out loud, I, I specifically remember saying, you are seeing this too. It's not just me. And he said, no, that was super creepy. And he said, what happened to her? I said, I don't know, but I don't think she's alive. Some friends of ours, they had traveled with us. They were in Broomfields. They were a little bit further north. They were leaving for Fort Collins quite a bit later than us. So we called them and we said, hey, like we just saw the craziest thing. We told them about it. And then we said, also the traffic is really bad. So maybe take 287 all the way up north instead of getting on I-25. And they're like, fine, we're already pretty close to I-25, but if we see the traffic, we'll get off. Thanks for letting us know. We continued our drive and we were both so shaken that we had no music on. We were just kind of like sitting in silence. Like, can you believe that? Like, what happened? I think at that point, I also had pulled out like my trusty palm trio. I had started just like looking up news, seven news, nine news, CBS four, whatever just trying to figure out what happened. Like, was there a hit and run? Was there a car accident? Like, what happened? Because we were so creeped out. Not even like 20 minutes after we had called my friends, they called us back and they said, where, where were you when you saw this? We explained, it's like that interchange and all of those overpasses. They said, we just drove through there. Like, we're out of Denver now. We're like almost to Erie and there was nothing. No traffic, no police cars. No sirens, definitely nobody in the median. For whatever to have happened, for all of that to have disappeared and all of that traffic, we were sitting in traffic for at least 15 or 20 minutes, just at a standstill. That was the part that we could not fathom is like, how could that just be gone? But they were adamant and they insisted that they hadn't seen it and they didn't have any idea what we were talking about. It almost felt like, not that they were calling us liars, but like that they were questioning Maybe we didn't see what we thought we saw, or maybe we had our locations turned around and didn't really know where we were. It almost seemed like they were questioning our integrity and telling them the story, or like they thought that we were trying to scare them. Same with us too. Like I thought maybe they had seen it and they were like, oh yeah, that's a dead body. Like we're gonna call them and mess with them. It definitely crossed my mind. They've gotta be messing with us. There's no way that that's all gone and that there's just nothing there. It kind of got a little heated after that. And it's like, no, it like it's nowhere on the news, but both of us saw this. Also, what happened to the other people who were with us in traffic? Nobody's gonna post about this, nobody saw this. Were we really the only two people who saw this? We weren't, we were in traffic with a ton of people. And it wasn't like it was the middle of the night, it was 8.30 at night. It wasn't super late. Why wasn't there an ambulance? Why weren't they giving like life-saving support? And if she was dead, why wasn't there like a death investigation? All of the pieces did not add up to me. I've worked in Denver for years and years and actually a homeless guy was shot like right outside my office one day and that investigation took hours and hours. The white sheets and the tents and, and all of the ballistics and everything. 
I'm familiar with that. And so it was very strange to me, but I also don't understand how somebody who would be laying and looking like in that rough shape would have just disappeared like that. There's no way I made this up. We are both so freaked out about this right now. But then to have somebody just 20 minutes down the road behind us be like, what are you talking about? There was nothing. Did we both hallucinate at exactly the same time? It was very strange. We finally make it into Fort Collins. It's pretty late at night. Neither one of us could eat. I remember that. We just kind of like sat and stared at our food and we were like, whatever we saw was so messed up. I was certain I'd seen a dead body. And then we just kind of went to bed. I'm pretty sure the next morning I checked the news too and still didn't see anything. Said goodbye to my boyfriend, got in my truck, went to head up to Laramie. And then I woke up hours later in the ICU. Slate completely wiped clean. Apparently what happened was I was driving up 287, which is this like super curvy mountain road north of Colorado. It's one of the ways that you get into Laramie. Something had caused me to swerve my truck into the road and then I overcorrected. I ended up like fishtailing and I ultimately like rolled three and a half times and landed upside down in a ditch. There are no witnesses to the accident. I guess there's like a valley, right? And there was a guy coming down this, the hill who saw the truck rolling and saw the dust kicked up. That's the closest thing I have to a witness to the accident. They did a whole accident investigation because they weren't sure if I was going to survive my flight for life to the Loveland Hospital. I had 27 broken bones, almost amputated my arm, collapsed lungs, really bad concussion. The policeman came, who was like in charge of the accident scene or whatever, had come to my hotel room once I was lucid and I'd undergone all this emergency surgery and whatever. Can you tell me what happened? Completely blank slate, but immediately what popped into my head was this big black cow in the middle of the road. And so that's what I told him. I'm pretty sure there was a cow in the middle of the road and that's why I swerved. Yeah, there are no cows anywhere near there. But they had no cause of the accident. They have no idea what would have caused it. They confirmed I was going the speed limit. They pulled my cell phone records. They actually found my phone and confirmed that like no text messages had gone out. No text messages were in drafts. No phone calls had gone out. Nothing driver distraction related. I completely forgot about what we'd seen the night before because I spent two weeks in the ICU and then had this super long rehab and physical therapy and all that. Really didn't think about this again until four years later. We'd graduated, we got married, we moved, we bought a house, and we were at my parents' house with a bunch of my siblings. I don't remember how the subject came up, but my, I think my sibling, like I have four younger siblings, so it was like, what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? And I remember my husband said, well, what about what happened the night before your accident? And then it all came flooding back. Let me tell you this story. I'm telling all of my siblings. You know, everybody's like, oh yeah, that's creepy as hell, whatever. As we're getting ready to leave, my sister goes, hey, drive safely. I had never connected the two of them like that. And I don't know that I would have had she not said that and really put it out of my mind. And then the next day it had snowed. <laughs> we were sitting at a stoplight out of nowhere, we get rear-ended and get shot into the middle of the intersection. 
when we told everybody what happened, my sister's like, oh my God, you told us that story yesterday. And so literally I've not told anyone else. <laughs> it's been nine years since I've told this story out loud. I really, really like to base my opinions in logic. I tried to explain away getting rear-ended by the fact that like, yes, it's snowing and this has to be a coincidence. I can tell you that I cannot drive past that spot without my stomach bottoming out. I literally hold my breath and will not look at that spot on the road because I don't want to see it just in case it does tempt fate to like have something else terrible happen. To me, it seems like a huge bad omen to talk about it. I feel like we saw something that night that we weren't supposed to. Whatever it was, like, tried to take me out. That was kind of the feeling that we both got when we were telling the story later, like years later. Like, this was just really creepy, and then this terrible thing happened afterwards. Just the fact that I was so uneasy telling the story because it did creep me out so much, and then to immediately be involved in a car accident the next day, it felt like, don't talk about this. You're not supposed to talk about this. People are not supposed to know about this. I've only been in two car accidents in my life. And so for the, the two of them to happen, one, right after I've seen this, and two, the only other time that I've talked about it, the logical part of me is like, this is for sure a coincidence. I just get super nervous. I have not researched it deeply because it creeps me the hell out. We, we still don't know what happened. So much of it doesn't make sense, and it scares me. Well, that was it. What did you think? Pretty gnarly stuff, huh? <laughs> uh, blah, blah, blah. Don't mind me. I'm just posting my very last priceless item for the day. It's a pair of socks from the set of Witness. That's right. John Book's socks, worn by beloved film icon Harrison Ford. No. Malachi, don't be silly. Me cleaning out my closet this week had absolutely nothing to do with my new online shop. <laughs> and how on earth would Academy Award nominee Harrison Ford's clothing make its way into my closet? <laughs> how do you explain that? How dare you? How dare you? You backstabbing feline ingrate. Well, <clears throat> anyway, I think that's quite enough for today. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. I hope you were sufficiently wigged out. This is Terry Carnation, who, as a matter of fact, is not wigged out. This is my real hair. I'll have you know. So, I'll see you back here next time at Radio Rental. <laughs> okay, let me see here. Radio Rental is created by Payne Lindsay and brought to you by Tenderfoot TV. Executive producers, Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright. Hosted by Rain Wilson as his character, Terry Carnation. Produced by Payne Lindsay, Mike Rooney, and Meredith Stedman. With additional production by Eric Quintana. Written by Meredith Stedman. Additional writing by Mark Lachlan. Sound design by Cooper Skinner. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Cover art by Trevor Eiler and Rob Sheridan. If you have a Radio Rental story that you'd like to share, please email us at yourscarystory at gmail.com or contact us via the form on our website, radiorentalusa.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Rental. You can also follow the illustrious Terry Carnation on social media. Just search at Terry Carnation. 
To hear more from Terry, listen to his podcast, Dark Air. Special thanks to Grace Royer and Oren Rosenbaum at UTI, The Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, and the team at Cadence 13. On behalf of the Radio Rental Store, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to share our show with a friend of the genre. Thanks for listening.